My name is Chukmika, Chuks for short. My pioneering spirit is important because it enables me to transcend the limitations of my mind and my heart to evolve into the better version of me where I can love and be with people more. Hello, hello, and a really big hello. You're listening to the Adoption Arena podcast, and my name is Joy Carter. And I'm really excited to be able to share with you the full episode of Seasons and Greetings, when I get to speak to the wonderful and beautiful Shafali Chandra. Now, her other name, her married name, is also Jean Shafali. So, I get to speak to her about her incredible life journey from her time being in care to being long term fostered. She has has overcome all these incredible life experiences to give back in an incredible way. Let's have a listen to some of her clips. Just to be accepting of people where they're at who they are and to try and help them or support them or find a voice, find their own voice, not my voice, not my words, but to listen to them. It's one of the greatest things that we can do for each other and humanity is to give time to somebody else and to listen. The experiences, the negative experiences of life do not have to define us. I think more discussion with care leavers, young care leavers and young adults, using their experience in training and advocacy. And I believe that there's a time for all things and there's a season for all things. And like every season, things pass. Do you know what? I just so love those snippets. Shafali, she just nails it. Now, I also have to give a special thank you and a big shout out to my very dear friend, Chuck Mika, for his words of what a pioneering spirit means to him. If you want to find out more about his work, he works for actiontopreventsuicide.org. Please check him out if, you've, if you know anybody who's, who is struggling with any suicidal tendencies. The work that they do is absolutely groundbreaking and saving lives. And he's just such a lovely guy. And the work they're doing down in Devon is just phenomenal. And please do get involved. They're buying land. They're, they're just building so much, so much good stuff into society. So please do check him out. So, without further ado, let's just dive in. Sit back, enjoy. Hey, I'm so glad that we I get to speak to you, Shafali. It's such an honour to have you on Adoption Arena. And I just know, I love speaking to you because of the way that you speak with all your word pictures and just the, the sheer wealth of life, learning and knowledge that you bring to the table. So, a very warm welcome. Wow, thank you. It's been great. It's great to be here. <laughs> well, we've got tons to get through, so let's just dive straight in. So, yeah, if you'd like to share with, with our listeners a little bit about your story, where did, where did you begin? I was born, I, I'm Anglo-Indian, or 
I'm actually Scottish Indian. My mother's Scottish, my father's Indian. I was born in Sheffield in the UK. And my father was over here uh, studying at Sheffield University. And he was lodging with a whole load of other students from India in a boarding house that my mother had and that she was in she was in England first time in England and her husband at the time was working for the Scottish boiler company that was the beginning I she she and he couldn't keep me didn't actually want to keep me so I was left in the hospital where from from birth she never saw me she never touched me and subsequently I've understood from her that she hadn't wanted me so and my father returned to India after his studies so I was I'm not sure where I was at the beginning nobody has any record of where I was at the beginning of my life so I I finally made my way um, to the Bernardo's homes. So I was taken in by Bernardo's um, at about a month or two months old. And from there, I was, um, I grew up for the first part of uh, my first years of life in one of the homes in Tunbridge Wells. And from there, I was what they classed then as being boarded out. I was boarded out, fostered. I've never been adopted. Um, but I was boarded out with a white family that was living there and then subsequently moved to Bristol, where I grew up. I did my growing up years and school years there under long term fostering. Still with Bernardo's. Bernardo's have always been my guardians. And yeah, that was the beginning of my life. So did you have... Brothers and sisters as well, you know, did, did, did the family have, you know, have other siblings for you to sort of get to know and stuff? Yes, they had three biological boys. So I was placed in a family of boys. And um, they didn't really know very much about my background. It was, it was um, you know, it was fine, I guess. We, you know, I just grew up with them. I was used to being around children because obviously with Bernardo's, you, you got lots of children, you got lots of babies, lots of children. So it was it was the boys that I attached to, I think probably more than my foster mother and father. So, yes, I grew up with them and I guess I did all the things that children do. I did find it a bit confusing as to why I have social workers. I didn't kind of really understand all of that because on the one hand, my foster mother was telling me I was adopted, but actually I wasn't adopted. So I grew up thinking I was, but I wasn't. And that played out quite a lot of insecurity in my life. So, so when, when was the moment that you realised that you weren't actually adopted? No, there wasn't a time when they didn't tell me specifically that I wasn't adopted. But I do remember probably when I was about eight or nine, it, it was my birthday and my foster mother was, she stood at the bottom of my bed. She'd given me a present and she stood at the bottom of my bed 
And she kept saying to me, you do know you're adopted, don't you? You do know you're adopted. And actually, to be honest, I didn't know what the word adopted meant. I, I didn't understand it. But because she kept saying it and seemed to be anxious, I just said, yes, yes, I know I'm adopted. But it was only because she kept saying I was adopted. But I, I don't think that I understood it. Did you ever have an opportunity to confront her and say, why did you say that? Well, I didn't confront, as you, as you say, or, or talk about the issues of adoption and fostering with my, my mother, particularly, until I was in my 40s. Yeah, I mean, I meant sort of like in later life, because I think it's these, sometimes it's these little childhood memories, aren't they, that... that mm. I, I, maybe confront is actually the wrong word, but there's, there's the things that I've gone back to my mother and father and later life and said, why did you say this? Or why did you do that? And sometimes, to be absolutely honest, I don't always get the answer that I wish, but, but I've realised now that I sometimes have to say it and then move on, if you know what I mean, because sometimes they mm. just don't have the vocabulary to really have that conversation. I was fostered in the time, um, in the era of the 50s, uh, I don't think they had all the training and that that people have today. And I don't think they really knew. They didn't want to talk about it. And we never talked about it. We never talked about the issues. But I don't think that's unusual. So I did ask my mother eventually, as I said, when I was in my 40s, and I asked her why I wasn't, I wasn't adopted. You know, what were the reasons and I told her how insecure that I had felt. And did she not understand by being told one thing and then finding out another was really difficult for me. And she she had no idea. She just said she never she never knew that I felt that way. I I didn't know how to talk about it as a child and I didn't know how to talk about it as a teenager. And let's face it, it's still very difficult even to talk about it as an adult today in some ways, because finding the closures and the answers is, is as we'll go on a little bit later in, in today's podcast, is you've got to find your own truth and find your own way creatively of coming to a, t a place of peace in a piece about about the answers. Um, so I think we'll, we'll sort of very much go back to that, because I think that is something again it, it, and even in the last episode we talked about is those moments that sort of the defining moments when we're given pieces of information that we just cannot platform and we can't break down we can't digest it so it just becomes and you can't and I said it's not like you can ignore it either you know you can't even ignore what what, what you know is a, is a truth but you don't understand so so with all those things going on in your teenagers how did that affect you Oh, I, I was quite wild in my teenage years and I was very angry. I, I was very angry about not being adopted, having to deal with social workers, having different names. So um, I had my birth name and I had my foster family's name. It just added to all the insecurity and the differences. I didn't want to be different. I already was different because of my colour, um, you know, because of people assuming that I was from another country. 
but not quite sure where to place me. So I can actually be placed in lots of different countries. And that's what people used to do. So it was about not being able to have any answers. That's one of the things that I was angry about. They didn't help me deal with the differences that I had. They wanted me to be, I feel, I think they, they wanted me to feel secure and they wanted me to feel that I was going to be with them forever. But that didn't really come over to me because, because I had the social workers. I mean, people who were adopted didn't have social workers coming to their school, coming to their home, asking them all sorts of questions. So I think I was quite confused as a child and certainly as a teenager why we never discussed it and particularly as I hit my teens the Anglo-Indian bit really came to a fore and I didn't know how to answer people's questions because I didn't know anything about my background I didn't know where my father was from I didn't know where my mother was from looking so moving a little bit along your life journey was there any moment that you actually tried to search for your biological parents did you actually look for them not as a young person, no. I felt that um, I would, would be being disloyal to the parents that had taken me on, really. Whether or not that would have been true, but I think um, there's a lot of people like myself, and, and maybe you've, you might have felt that yourself, about this aspect of being disloyal is though I have to be grateful, I have to be thankful. And I was thankful, I'm not sure that I was grateful. I just felt as though I had challenges in my life that I didn't really have anybody that could uh, guide me and direct me. So obviously you've, you know, you've gone into working in the system, in social work, has that been cathartic in any way? And why did you decide to go in to working with, with you know, with people with, you know, with disadvantaged children? What made you want to want to go and do that? Um, I didn't. I didn't go into social work. I wasn't ever a social worker or that. I I trained when I I had a career in the military because I left home. I left when I was seventeen. I, my family, my foster family, is still my family. I still regard them as my family and they regard me as their sister and, you know, being part of them. But I think what I did was I, I married into the military. I was abroad and I wanted, um, I wanted a job that brought more satisfaction if I was going to go back to work. So I decided I trained as a national marriage guidance counsellor and worked with the military. Uh, but through that, it wasn't, that was fine. But I decided I really felt as though I was drawn to people who were marginalised. So I, for a little while, I was a, a, a foster mother to military families who had, uh, who needed some respite for children or babies. And I just felt as though I had more to offer to people and so I trained as a counsellor therapist and so that's the that's the career I went into because I felt as though I had experiences of being able to understand people's difficulties um, and pain 
and also uh, wanting people to find a different way through these difficulties so that the past or the, the experiences, the negative experiences of life do not have to define us. So I figured that if I could work that through in my own life, I had something to offer, not that people have to be exactly like me, but that they could have some form of, of uh, worth, self-worth, hope, in themselves and who they are and who they were going to become. Is there any points that you'd like to see changed in today's foster care system? Is there, you know, if you could, if you could speak to a member of parliament, say a member of government, what is the key thing you'd like to see happen right now? If you could wave a magic wand. Well, I'm not totally up to date with everything that's going on in the care system at this present moment. Um, I do a lot of work with Bernardo's, but I guess I think about the care system in the sense that there needs to be, I think, more discussion with care leavers, young care leavers and young adults, using their experience in training and advocacy to social workers and their training and also to potential foster parents and adopt adoptive parents so they may already do that but I think there needs to be more and I know certainly for myself when I was looking for some help as an adult to through the social workers and social care system that I found it very difficult to find anything in my area where I was living that had any real understanding of people who are of dual nationality and people of colour. There, was, there wasn't anything. They were interested in interviewing me for my opinions and my experiences so that they could learn from it. Now, I, I'm sure that's moved on now, but I think more there needs to be more support uh, for care leavers across the board. That's not just that's not just leaving when they're sixteen or when they're eighteen. That's care and support and counselling, particularly counselling. That was something that I found difficult to find amongst the adoption side because obviously I'm not adopted, so therefore I didn't realise I wasn't entitled to counselling like people who are adopted. So I felt as though, you know, I have a similar background to an adoptee, other than the fact that I'm not adopted. Um, And so that needs changing. They needs looking at um, about what support that care leavers can have to help them really on their journeys. into their young adulthood and a bit further on. Yeah, this is this is a huge issue, isn't it, for governments because mm. they really do not know what to do. I mean, they they I still think they sort of departmentalise um, all the care system. They put it into little little pieces when actually it's actually one whole unit, isn't it? A lot of children maybe are fostered for a series, then they might be adopted, or you could be fostered and then you go back to your biological parents. But in, in, in but even having that time of being fostered, um, you know, like even five years of being fostered, then going back, that can have a, tra- a massive traumatic of- effect on the child. And I don't really understand that we're all on the same page 
um, something has happened to that in that child's development, which is 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 actually is actually a life changing, but not in a good way situation, is it? Because we know that um, the stats all speak for themselves. A number of um, young people who are care leavers who actually go into higher education. I mean, the stats are horrendous, aren't they? Compared to those in in like a normal family unit. Same with um, the numbers of young people who end up, you know, with suicides. Um, I, I'm going to speak to um, a very dear friend of mine does suicide prevention work. We know the statistics. Those joining gangs, those in broken broken life situations, all stem from this time of this fracture so um I also just wanted to talk as well about the importance of names because obviously you very much had your the name that your biological parents gave you and then and then this other name that your new family gave you and then and so how did you manage to sort of keep those that that identity you know how did you deal with those mixed identities going on well I think for the beginning of my life I didn't really I mean my birth name is Jean, and that's on my birth certificate. Uh, not that I knew that at the beginning. So therefore, my foster family couldn't change that name. Um, I believe that if you're adopted, that and on adoption, they can change the, a given name. Um, but that doesn't work the same in the foster care system, or it didn't not when I was growing up. Um, but. The names, I'm um, Shafali is a name I gave myself as an adult. And that is really, as I did search, did some searching, I started searching quite late in life because I was out of the country for a, a long period of time with working with the military. So I wasn't able to do any searching and I didn't start until the early, early 90s. Um, I didn't have any, I didn't even know I was entitled to my a file. Um, so, yeah, I guess that a lot of people, I've done it quite late in life. But I, I've got, uh, when I joined the, the military, that was a problem because I was called by my birth name. So I, I went into the military under my mother's name. And I'd never use my mother's name because my foster family didn't want me to use my mother's name. So they wanted me to use their name, understandably. And so they informed the school that the school needs to talk to me uh, by their name. So I already then had different names, that surnames. And that became a problem and an issue when I actually first went to get a visa to go to France with a school trip. and. I did all the paperwork for and did it in my foster name. But of course, it didn't match my birth certificate. So that's when it really became a problem. And but I still didn't know how to talk about it. So I decided that as an adult, I needed to have names that represented who I was. And I don't think there is just one name that represents me because I've realized that I've been fragmented anyway. And, and a lot of people are fragmented when they're growing up like that. So I, and all of these pieces of these fragment, fragmented pieces make up me. They make up my story. You will have bits that make up you. That it's not black and white. 
So I wanted to take all the pieces and somehow give them names, which would represent different times of my life, different places in my life, um, and, and different aspects of my personality. So that's really why I looked at different names, but, but it's Jean Shafali. If I have to put anything down legally, I leave the Shafali out because I've changed my name twice now and I just didn't want to go through the depot again. It's just, uh, I'm changing all my paperwork. Actually, I found out when, when I finally did trace some members of my family in, on the Indian side, I found how common it is to Indian people to have different names. And well, it, they may be in, this, in, in different, different countries as well. So for that, I had already done it without realising that that was common. And this is, this is one thing that I found as well, is that it's a very Western concept having the one name. It's very common, I mean, in my heritage, which I've now discovered in Africa, to have big, have other names. You have a tribal name, you have a family name, mm -hmm. and, I'm, and I'm learning more and more that it's okay. As long as you clearly define what that name means, so then you're not confused. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you are a bit confused, you can still, it's your life. You can then change it. You might drop your name, you might take a new name. We know as women, you can, you know, when you marry somebody, you can pick up, that, that new family's name, or in modern day terms, a lot of people don't take their husband's name, but it's up to you to define what you want to call yourself. And that is part of the heal, healing process, I believe, is taking that responsibility and, and filling in the blanks. I hate, there's not a better term of, for me of saying that, but it's like you're, you're filling in what you want to identify yourself with, and that in, in itself is healing, and that gets rid of that, or some of that, loss and that confusion and also the confusion of other people trying to find who you are that I think is the main confusion isn't it and you don't have an answer yeah I think um when when you don't know anything about your background and you don't really know where you come from and and it, well any information because those are the things that people ask you well whereabouts is your family from in India whereabouts are your family from in you know in Scotland and you and that's one of the things that I really disliked about growing up at school when people used to ask me things I didn't have any answers so uh, as children will do they'll make up stories because they just don't want to be different and they don't want to say I don't know because kids will say well how, how come you don't know and I think that's one of the most difficult things and and I know today that people are adopted have more information, but for, for all, all of us that were growing up in the 50s and the 60s, many of us had no idea about anything. And I found that one of the most difficult things that I didn't know, and I didn't know, you know, you don't know your medical records, but people keep asking you every time you go to the doctors, you know, people just, and quite often it's out of curiosity, it's not out of meanness or whatever, but when you don't know who you are, when you don't know, you don't find anybody that you look like, when you're not sure about anything, um, when you hit your teenage years, that's, that is a, a time when you're developing your own identity. And if you were secure, it's hard enough as it is just for, for teenagers to get through all of that and become their own person. But if you really don't know who you are, you're having to make up all sorts of things 
just to become something that perhaps it's not true to your own nature. So I think that development stage just goes on. I think it's just delayed in some of us until yeah. we can find some things out. And then we've got a whole, whole job of integrating it and re-jigging re the whole picture that we have. So that's what we're doing all the time. When we get more information about ourselves and we learn about ourselves, we rejig the original picture. Until yeah, and, and that's, that, is, that is, if anybody listening, that may sound overwhelming, but really it's, it's no different than basically the reconfiguration that we have on our mobile phones, whether we want it or not. <laughs> Every so you go to switch on your mobile and it just reconfigures um, and we don't freak out about it. But that's what we, it's healthy to do that. Mm. It's healthy to have, I, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of talks and one of the things that I try and encourage people to do is do what I call an MOT test. Go through who you are, where you're at, have a weekend at home, switch off everything and have a time when you can just sit and think and ask yourself questions. How am I? Where am I? What things do I want to pick up? What things do I want to do more work on? And that's what we spoke on, on with them. I was chatting to Simon Ben on the Truth Traveller. We have to take that, that time and make that time and not just wait until there's a crisis, but do it regularly so we keep up to date with the latest versions of who we are. Because um, our truths are always changing and it will just naturally change anyway. But especially for anyone who's had any kind of fracture, if you like, in that development process, it's really even more important for us because our truths will change and we have to stay really on top of it. Otherwise, people can easily start telling us things that, they think we are which may on me and they can actually be quite dangerous or harmful because it might not be you at all what i wanted to move on to now is i brought in a new piece um, of a new fun section which is called the adoption quiz so you can play this at home if you are listening we're only going to have a couple of um of the questions and then if you want to listen to all the rest of the pieces that shafali will say then please wait until we have the episode that goes with this series called the adoption quiz full length when I speak to other adoptees other people have been in the care system people have been fostered and and I get more of a picture of how we can unpack some of these issues so let's just dive straight in so what is your go-to food comfort where do you like to go when you're needing that that time for you well, that's quite easy for me. Um, my go-to food, um, my soul food, as I call it, is Indian dal and rice. There's a there's one which is a yellow split peas. It's and it is so creamy. It is so oh, it's when I think about it, I just think I feel so warm. It's it's just lovely food. But I mean, mo most of the dolls that I make um, are really nice. But that's my favourite. Definitely my favourite. And does that help you feel more secure and just more you? Well, it makes me feel I'm in touch with the earth. I'm in touch. I'm a very nature and earthy person. And, and the, the taste of turmeric and that, which is an earthy taste and that is, yeah, it's, it's just me. Mm. And that's it. Mm. And, and, and do you have a favourite colour, smell or place? 
Oh, I, I definitely have a, a favourite colour. They are of the purple colour and I'm magenta. And I really, really appreciate the deep colours of and vibrant colours of, I have to say, India. I've never been, I've lived in many countries, but I have to say that India is one of the most vibrant, colourful places that I've ever been to and that's what I really really like it's it's mm. it's it does help doesn't it I think in those challenging days when you rather than reach mm. for a black jumper or mm. you know or whatever it's lovely to have those things when you need them to just remind yourself isn't it helps ground yourself I think uh I mean they say purple is a royal color but I think for me it lifts my confidence it, it can just have a feeling of spirituality. Yeah, just a, a meaning. It, it just makes me, it makes me feel better when I wear it, when, I, when I'm in it and around. Yeah, and it does those things for my personality. Brilliant. Well, that's a really good answer. And if you're playing this along at home, and maybe if you don't have a favourite colour or food or a place, maybe think about it because... These are the things that we can, our go-to things. For me, at the moment, I'm just going to say it as it is. I'm into my rainbow at the moment. I mean, I've just, I've, I've gone there. I've got the whole thing going on now. And I love iridescence. Mm. It's, to me, it's, it's about in the paler tones, it's like the dragonfly wings. But then, and every time I see that rainbow, it's like, to me, it's harmony. Frequency is grounding. And it just helps me remember that all the colours are in me. And, and if I want to, I can wear black if I wish, but it's just that harmony that I've longed for my whole life. And that's why I like to try to remind myself of all the colours whenever I can, it's quite funny. Um, and slightly odd as well to be wearing so many colours at once. What's your proudest moment or achievement concerning the things that you've, you've overcome if you, you know if you could look back at you age 16 and go look at look at what I've done what is the greatest thing that you think you found in your life that you're really proud of well that's uh, that's quite a question really but I think what comes to mind is I was uh invited to the 150th anniversary of Bernardo's a couple of years ago uh, to the garden party, the Queen's garden party. My husband, uh, you know, he's, he, um, sadly he's died now, but he, he was still alive then. I, w I went with some other people because I sit on the um, National Council for Old Girls and Boys for Bernardo's, do a lot of work for that, with Bernardo's for that. Anyway, we went as a group and we were invited as a group. And it was, it was a really, really lovely time together. And the very fact that I'd done, I had been able to do a lot of different things in the 150th year, like videos, like telling our stories, which is partly what, what we do in Bernardo's, about helping old girls and boys, about raising money, about being an advocate. Um, all of those things came together on that day. And we were actually given red tickets 
which meant that we could go into the royal tent. Now, there were only so many tickets that were given. And there was uh, several of us from the group that were allowed to do that. And I felt that that was a real honor and a real pinnacle of, of where I'd come from at the very beginning. You know, Bernardo's has a, has a saying and a sign that's up outside the, the one of the oldest, the, the first homes that Bernardo's, Dr. Bernardo's ever had. And it says no destitute child will ever be turned away. And I always remember that. That's a legacy. I live in the legacy of that. Uh, you know, I was given a chance through Bernardo's uh, when nobody else wanted me. And they didn't turn me away. And that is something that I think about a lot when I'm working with other people. So there is that Bernardo's thing of the honor of being able to go there. But there's also that, that saying sticks with me whenever I'm working with anybody that is struggling with life. They don't have to be adopted. They can have all sorts. Everybody has all sorts of issues. I remember that, 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 Bernardo's never turned anybody away. They, you know, worked with them. And I, that's what I feel as though I've tried to achieve. Just to be accepting of people where they're at, who they're at, who they are, and to try and help them or support them or find a voice, find their own voice. Not my voice, not my words but to re listen to them. It's one of the greatest things that we can do for each other and humanity is to give time to somebody else and to listen. Well, that is really, really powerful. And that's beautiful because it's that nothing, it's that, it's, it's, it's that fullness of going from where, as you said, where you started in your life and all the things you've overcome to even be here. Because we all know, mm. sadly, a lot of people don't make it or they do kind of get so far but they're still battling mm. addictions and many horrible life issues but you've you've fought your way through and now you're able to I hate the term give back but you're able mm. to 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 mm. be there as a voice and as a friend and as a as a support and as a love as a heart connection to people who need it and that allowed you to then be recognized in that way I think that's really really powerful so I just want to say, if you want, please do listen to the rest of the adoption quiz um, and when, when we play the fullness of it, because it is about really helping us connect with who we are, but also don't give up on yourself. And I love it. I mean, I, I've had the pleasure in my life of meeting people like yourself, Shafali, who've never given up on me, no matter how much I said, please give up. No matter how much I said, this, this, this challenge is too great. I had friends who could see beyond the fruit of the things that I was doing that were not good, which were not healthy, that were not very, very nice. And I wasn't a very nice person for years, whatever that word nice means, but I was a broken person. So your voice is, is often the difference between life or death, because a lot of people have a, a limit where they go, I can't help you anymore. And that's still okay. But there's a point where you can run out of those voices and to always be there even if you can't say anything, to just be there is sometimes all we can do. But at least you're there if people then, you know, are in that place. So thank you so much for sharing that. And finally, I just wanted to ask you, 
Okay, in, in the search for your identity, did you have a really outrageous thing that you did? In my rebellious days, uh, well, actually, they've still carried on in my life, really, but in, in different ways. I think I have got some things that I really regret, but don't we all, when we look back? Hindsight's a wonderful gift, but it doesn't help us at the time. I remember... Uh, and I don't think this is this is a great thing, but I do remember I was in the military. I joined the military. I was, you know, um, going off to to camp, and I can remember my foster mother saying to me, coming into the kitchen, and saying to me, um, "Right, well, me and your fa uh, father have decided that we are going to adopt you." And I exploded, really exploded. And I don't think that I, at that time, ever thought about how they felt or, or they were really, really taken by surprise. But I, I said I didn't want to be adopted. It was too late. Um, I'd already joined the military. Um, I had to take my mother's name. I, I didn't understand why they did that, why they said it why they didn't say it. It was a question that I asked them in my 40s or asked my mother anyway. And it just showed me that she didn't get me. But I don't think I ever got, got them either. That's one of the things. If we don't discuss things, if we don't talk about things openly, as hard as they may be, as painful as they may be, then we are left in confusion and we will fill the gaps with something ourselves. So it, that's not necessarily a funny thing. I don't ever look back and laugh about that because I, I, I didn't regret what I said, but I do regret the way I said it. And, you know, I, I kind of had to overcome that uh, with them, um, the hurt that I caused them. But equally so, I realized that they didn't really understand me and understand where I was. So that isn't a funny, a funny thought, but I want to say that because there are things we do and we say we regret, but we can't always carry on in our lives, just always being grateful, always being thankful. We've got to find a place where we can truly actually realize what are we actually thankful for? If we want to say thank you, we need to follow it up with, with um, some other parts of it, other story about why we're thankful. And I am thankful to my foster family because I love them. And because I had a woman, a foster mum that loved me, regardless of how, uh, and father, regardless of, of some mistakes they've made and the mistakes that I've made, but I think that the story is so much wider than that. I think we'll all have seasons in our lives of adoption stories, as we said, of good things. And it's not all negative, but we've got to be able to share both, both, because it makes us who we are today. And I sometimes, I know I use this picture, but I say sometimes I'm like uh, one of those brazier 
um, I'm like, um, is it, you know, it's like when they got holes in them and sometimes they got a fire, you know, you warm yourself by them, but they've got these holes. And I said, I sometimes feel like a perforated person with holes that can't be filled. That even through my searching, even finding my, my birth family has not been able to fill the holes in me. Actually, nothing has filled those holes because they're supposed to be there. Because the thing about abrasia, which is, is, is not being enclosed, is that it lets out light and it lets out heat. So I see myself, my part of my identity is like one of those braziers where the difficulties of life, the fun things, the, the great memories, um, and also the memories that aren't so great, I've been able to work through uh, with many different people and in different ways to be able to let that light, let that heat, let that warmth really of being able to find a way through to gather other people around and they can warm themselves on what are still holes in my life, but they don't have to um, be closed off. They're not closed off and there's reasons. It gives out more heat. It gives out something more when you allow people to see the holes. Well, that's very profound. And I'm thank you for saying that because I think, um we've got to not be afraid to always want to stick a bow on it our society always wants us to make everything beautiful like a disney production and have a dance number at the end but the reality is some things may be resolved but some things also have a purpose in them and i think what you shared is going to inspire a lot of people to go where you are right now is okay and you're still you've still got a voice to say where you are now that is going to still help someone else but we don't have to wait till we are and I hate that term perfect because there is no perfect there's just different levels of inner truth that we can uh, come to and then the things that you're saying now you may change within a year but then that's your journey to say that and so this, this is quite nice into the whole theme of this whole podcast which I've called seasons and greetings because I believe it's you know one time we spoke and you shared about the importance of if you like um this this season know that your life season that you're in because some things will be in winter some things could be in autumn some things could be in spring or in fruitfulness but if you don't know where you are that can lead to confusion so and i think you shared a wonderful word picture of a leaf so if you could just tell our listeners about mm -hmm. the importance of the leaf and that in its relationship to the tree yeah Yes, I, I love seasons and I like seeing life in seasons. Um, and I would like to say that sometimes we are not just in one season. We may be in a mixture of seasons. So we may be in summer and in winter. And I believe that there's a time for all things. That, and there's a season for all things. And like every season, things pass. But one of the greatest things is uh, taken from autumn really when the leaves start to fall off the trees and I've been was reading something about when leaves get ready to fall and we know the we know the the, the way that the 
things the, the greenery disappears and it goes back you know all the goodness knows goes back into the root of the trees it's it's about the tree itself won't let go of that leaf until it's the exact right time for that leaf to die and let go and we need to know a season of our life when the right time to let go of something is so there's a time uh, you know in my life when I realized that I I in order to go on and to produce more fruit at some other time I have to know when the right time is to let go of something that is holding me back so it's no good for the leaf to stay on the tree any longer then it, it, it is necessary. And the wind might blow and there are some leaves that come off very easily and there are some that don't, but the tree will let the leaf know when it's time to let go. But our job is to listen for that time and to know it. So there are times when we need to let go things that we just keep going on and on and on about in order for the things that we've, we've, um, born fruit can go back into the ground, can go back into things, can go back into our lives, in other people's lives. Let, let the season happen in our life, in others' lives, and then it can produce something. And that's particularly important when we're thinking about we find our families we find somebody, a birth, birth member, and we, we so want all the information. We want everything all at once. We've waited a whole lifetime to meet people, but it's not going quick enough and it's not going the way that we want to. And, uh, and then we can, and I've done this and have made mistakes, push buttons and do things that are out of season and it won't produce anything. So, even in the season of adoption and searching um, and healing for ourselves, we just need to listen to nature. Let it be. And we will find that it will pass and fruit will come from another season. We've just, it, you know, we're on a whole life journey here and we can't get it all done in one, one period. So the leaf is always to me, and in autumn, I look at the leaves as they hang on. They look as though they're hanging on for dear life, but they're really finishing up the whole photosynthesis process. And when that is actually finished, the leaf will fall of its own accord and go back into the earth to give back. That's absolutely stunning. And I just love that because that answers so many inner questions I mean I look back at the seasons of my life same as you trying to make things happen in the wrong season somebody once said it's like looking for roses in winter and if you do see roses in winter there's they need to be pruned you know my dad used to really prune my roses back in my garden I think I used to say to him you're killing it dad stop but he knew what he was doing because lo and behold come spring come summer I'd have the biggest blooms but only after the harshest pruning. Mm. And I think I've learned now to own my level of my journey, be happy for those in spring, be happy for the people sometimes who've got all the fruit and whatever. That's fine, because, but also to know that my time will come 
And in other seasons, when I am in times of loads of plenty of feeling joyful, that's also fine as well, because I'm always going to be, be aware that I'm going to be in seasons and to, and to let some seasons are very quiet in my life with that issue. That is fine. And that gives you that inner peace. Well, to just sort of sum up, is there anything that you'd like to sort of share or you'd like to, to say to people listening, to leave them with any thoughts or any things they could read or where can people find you? Well, I think if people really want to find me, then they can make contact with you and you can make contact with me. Yeah, I think that probably would be best. I'm not always great at this um, uh, internet stuff and technical stuff. I mean, this is the first podcast I think I've ever done. Um, I, I had to look it up to see what it was was about. Uh, I've made some of these um, full masks. It, um, there's a, a company called the Vamos Th uh, Theatre Company um, in the UK, and it's the only one, I think, that makes the full masks. And they do shows um, totally in mime. So they take themes um, and... Uh, do a whole a whole story just in mask work no words so it's all in that so if you've ever seen anything like that it's it's really really different and they've done a show called the best thing and it's set in the swinging 60s and it is a story about uh, a young girl that got pregnant and then felt that she had to give up her baby to adoption and that in it's a, it's a really really moving story and funny at, in some periods and that so Vamos Theatre Company so you can see you can look that up online and you can see the work that they do on different themes a little bit like what we've been talking about so I'd like to give them a shout out really or the notes will be underneath as well so yeah. I'll put that as a link for people who really want to mm. engage with their work because I think mm. that's the great thing about the creative arts we have this gift and there's things that you just can't say in, in, a, in even in a podcast or in a book but you can say through movement mm. the unspoken language and that is as as um, psychologists would tell you 55% of our conversation is unspoken anyway. So I can imagine that's going to be very beautiful. Well, thank you so much mm -hmm. for joining us. I've, I've really enjoyed our time and it's just blown by. And as you said, if, if people have got any questions, please just drop me an email, hello at adoptionarena.com. We'd love to know your thoughts, your feelings, what you've got from this, any questions you have for Shafani or even for myself, and, and also ideas as well, that, that we maybe we can connect with you a bit more. So thank you again for this. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a really exciting time, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. And of course, thank you for listening. And um, please do keep sharing the importance of adoption with your friends. Please subscribe. Visit us on the website or the W's, adoptionarena.com. Thank you for your support and please do enjoy the next episode. You take care. See you soon. A pioneering spirit to me is about breaking fallow ground 
in myself and on behalf of others so that the good seeds of life might flourish and bloom on the winds of kindness and change for the good of all to benefit.